0: Where I want to go today is our Greek Christmas album, also known as Matthew's Nativity. And so we're going to look at it from the Greek, but we're going to start with a basic review. So these are the four things that we will review to make sure we're on track to read Matthew's Nativity together. All right? Review point number one, emphasis. You will recall from our classes that we had on emphasis. Writing is something that can be very expressive. We can write in ways that, that really emphasize things. And it's especially true in English. It's especially true in the 21st century. Where we've got an ability to write something in bold font. Where we can change the color of the font and make it a different color for emphasis. We can underline things. We can choose italics. We can add exclamation marks up to three or more. Our children have taught me that you can use emoticons when you write. And they can help you with all sorts of things. They have elaborate emoticons. You can highlight things. All of these are things that we can do today if we want to emphasize a point. But the ancient Greeks did not have this at their disposal. They didn't have highlighters. They didn't have a bold font. They didn't write in color. They didn't underline. No italics. No exclamation marks. They didn't even have emoticons. Though I suspect maybe they drew smiley faces and we just haven't found that yet. But their writing was no less expressive. Even though they had no real punctuation, they were able to express things through, for example, word order. You recall we've talked lately about how different words wear signs that tell you, I'm the subject, or I'm an object, or I'm in the genitive case. All of these different labels or signs or endings and prefixes that words wear enable you to place them in the sentence in lots of different orders. You're not stuck with our English need to put the subject before the verb, unless the verb's passive. You can put that subject anywhere you want. So the ancient Greeks would use word order to show emphasis often, not simply out of grammatical necessity. Though there certainly was uh, grammatically the norms of, of language in order. But you, you've you got that. Now a second way that the Greek showed emphasis were with signal words. There would be certain words that indicated, Hey, pay attention to what's following here. We have that in English. We have that word with our children, the next generation from me. They have that in the word like. So, like, here's what happened. Like, you won't believe what she did. Like, she actually did this. You see, and that like is just, it's either a filler because they're taking a breath. Whereas my generation, we just said, uh. Well, uh. We went and uh. Got food. See, their generation, we, like, went and, like, got food, like. Okay, so that's their, uh, or it's a point of emphasis. Um, look it is a Lubbock word for emphasis. Look it. I want you to understand this. Okay? Look it. It's one of those. In fact, if you get it in Lubbock, it's not technically two words. Look it is one word. That's like the word squeat in Lubbock. Do you all know the word squeat? S- I've taught you that, haven't I? It's a very important Lubbock word. Go to the Elmo, please. If you don't know this word, your vocabulary is deficient. This is Oxford word of the day out of Lubbock. S- Q- U- e- e- T. S-Q-U-E-E-T. Squeat. Say it. Squeet. Well, we can't yet. It's not noon. But at noon, squeat. It means let's go eat. Okay, squeak. That's Lubbock for let's go eat. Squeak. Okay, this is the stuff you learn in this class. That's free. That's absolutely free. Squeak. All right, let's go back. So we have these words, you know, just. How many people pray with the word just because they want to emphasize something? Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Well, that's not all we really want to do. We don't mean that just literally. In fact, literally sometimes doesn't mean literally today. Sometimes it means I'm serious about this. Like when uh, uh, our ex-governor in uh, uh, Rick Perry, uh, in a, in a debate, said uh, that terrorists were coming across the border literally at the speed of light. Now. I, Rick Perry's a nice guy, but he was not using literally, literally. (laughs) He was using literally as a word for emphasis. Meaning they were coming fast, literally at the speed of light. Okay, one of my favorite signal words, if you'll recall this class, is the one that Emeril uses when he wants to emphasize a dish with a spice. And it's bam! And if you've watched Emerald Lagasse Cook, you know that word. So these signal words are in the Greek. It's a way of showing emphasis. A second thing we covered in this class that I want to refresh in your mind before we read the nativity story is Greek wordplay, puns. The Greek language loved wordplay. They loved alliteration. They loved not just balance and 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 things in speech, but they loved the way words flowed and sounded. In fact, the accent marks that we use with Greek are really more inflection tones of how the voice worked. And so if you've got an acute accent, which points up, the voice would go up there. If you've got a grave or a grave accent going down, the voice would go down there. If you've got a circumflex accent, the voice would kind of go up and down on that. And, and, and it was an expressive way. And they didn't just do it with sound, but that sound carried over into the words and the language choice itself. So you have a lot of alliteration, a lot of puns, a lot of play on words in the Greek. Very common. A third thing that we covered that I want to rehash with you today is the fact that their verbs had a way of conveying a perspective. It's called verbal aspect. Of the action, and it's different than simply verb tense, which is where most of our verbs are today. We use the tense to convey action, whereas the the in in a in a slightly different way. So here was the one of the illustrations I used uh, to try and explain that to y'all. I said, think about the way we hear and watch reporting on hurricanes. You can have a report on the hurricane from the news where they take a picture of the hurricane from a satellite. And they say, you know, here's the storm as it's blowing through the Gulf of Mexico approaching Galveston and the Houston coastline. And so they have this beautiful overhead view that gives you the perspective or an aspect of it from an an overview sense. Then there is another way to do hurricane reporting. You can have the the woman or the man on the beat who's actually there standing on the seawall while the waves are starting to slap over the stones and the wind is gusting and howling and you hear it through the microphone. And so you have this on-the-spot reporting of the same hurricane as you're experiencing it and as it's unfolding right there from the perspective of one who's enduring it as opposed to the other. And then a third perspective or aspect is one that's kind of a, a state of affairs. It's, it's almost as if it's over. It's, it's, here's the condition that it's left us in. Here's the state of affairs. It was a hurricane that blew through and, and just did great damage and destroyed, uh, uh, the homes and lives of many people. And so you've got those three different things. And I use that to say that those three perspectives line up with three different types of Greek verbs. A type of Greek verb that's a bird's eye view, one that's on location in the moment, and one that's looking at the status or condition afterwards. And the aorist view point is the one that tends to be bird's eye. Now, the aorist verb is also the default go-to verb. You, you should, If you, if when in doubt, just throw it in, in the aorist. Uh, I had some friends and we decided we were going to go back through our Greek, classical Greek grammar book uh, through the internet and emailing each other. And we just do all the exercises all over again. My friend, who's a marvelous Greek student scholar uh, up in the Northeast, emailed me back and said, Lanier, are we going to do the exercises where you have to translate the English back into the Greek? I said, of course, we are not going to wimp out on this. We're doing it right, man. We're going to do every page, every exercise. And, and the, the key, one of the keys to translating it from English back into Greek is just use the aorist. You can get away with the aorist for almost anything. That's just your go-to. But there are times where the authors don't use the aorist, where they'll use an imperfect tense form or a present tense form, and those are times where the emphasis is more on the moment, the location. The emphasis is on the, the occurrence in the here and the now, the moment by moment. That's the person on the seawall reporting at the hurricane as opposed to the person in the TV studio showing you a satellite view. The third is the 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 state of affairs, the status or condition afterwards. And that's something that's used typically with a verb tense in the Greek called the perfect. So we covered that and uh, we'll talk about that today. And then the fourth thing that I want to review with you is there is that Greek y'all. Unlike um, uh, much of the English-speaking world today, there is y'all in the Greek. And so you actually have a pronoun that is second-person plural. That's not simply you. But when it's translated into the Bible, in English generally, it's you. And so you don't know if it's written to you singular or you plural. So with that... I want us to have a chance to look at Matthew's nativity. So here's what I've done. I've reprinted Matthew's nativity for you, and I've coded some of the words. So if we go to the Elmo, let's put it here. And see if we can't work through this together. And through some of the coded words, my hope is is that I can, t- can, can show you some emphasis. And one of the things I love from Peter Williams is Peter said one of the reasons he reads the Bible in foreign languages is it causes him to slow down his reading and to focus more carefully. And it's a marvelous thing to do. So we're going to slow down our reading of Matthew's nativity, a story that's familiar, I suspect, to everyone in this room. But we're going to slow down our reading. We're going to look at a couple of things together and see if we can't find some emphasis. So this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you'll see I've put genealogy in italics, and I've put it in red ink. And the reason why is because it is a word. It comes from a Greek root of, 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 of um, a, a very, very common Greek, Greek root. Genomai is, is the, the Greek verb form. But, but this is extremely normal Greek. But it's one that's going to show itself over and over and over. So much so... That it really starts to jump out at the page on you, and so we see it here. This is actually genealogy comes from the form of this word that in English we would write as Genesis. In Greek, it would just be genesis, and so um, uh, this is this is the Greek word genesis. And that's how this begins. In fact, we'll, we'll see this in a moment. Let's 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 look at it a little bit more detail. So, all right. So the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Now Abraham was the father, and this is from the the same Greek word. Except this is from the the form ganao, um, uh, genao. Yep. This is from, or in English, we would write it G-E-N-N-A with a long O. O. All right? Same Greek root. Same play on words. But this means to begat. This means to be the father of. This means to produce as an offspring. Um, um, um. And so Abraham begats Isaac. But he He's the genesis of Isis. He's, Isaac is the genesis of Jacob. Jacob is the genesis of Judah. Judah and his brothers. Judah's the genesis of Perez and Terah by Tamar. Perez the genesis of. And it just keeps going and you see every time the word father is there, we're seeing that that's the genesis, the genesis, the genesis, the genesis. But we need to understand that this whole thing doesn't start as the book of the genesis of Abraham, where whom Abraham begat. The emphasis of Matthew here is that this is the genesis of Jesus Christ. This is the point right here. The point is Jesus, the end result, not the forebearers. And again, this becomes an emphasis point because this is what's placed at the front. Now you might be thinking, well, of course that's at the front because that's his gospel. This is not a book about Abraham. Not so quick. This phrase, the book of the genealogy, that phrase does not mean the entire book of Matthew, most likely. That's referencing this section. See, the entire book of Matthew, we think of Matthew as a book, and that's appropriate, it is. But this is a specific phrase. This is the Biblos... B-I-B-L-O-S in the Greek. The Biblos of Jesus. Now I made you something special here. Let me show you. Here is Matthew 1-1 in the Greek. Biblos, that's the book, by the way. What do we get from that word? Bible. The book. The Biblia in Latin, but the Biblos in Greek. The book of the genealogy or the Genesis. This at the end. You say, wait, I thought it was I-S. Remember, I told you they wear tags often at the end signs to tell you what form of speech they are. And that's what this is. This is just a sign. So don't worry about it. This is the word Genesis, um, the word uh, Genesis in the Greek, the book of Jesus Christ, the book of the genealogy or the Genesis of Jesus Christ. But this Biblos Geneseos is not new. And if you were a good Greek reader who was studied up in his scripture and had memorized some of his Greek scripture, you would say, wait a minute. That's the same Greek word, phrase used multiple times in Genesis. Now... Genesis is the name we have of the Old Testament book, Genesis. This is getting confusing, isn't it? Don't let it get confusing, this is easy. We didn't come up with that name. That name was already in use for Genesis at the time Matthew wrote. So when Matthew writes this, he writes it knowing that the book of Genesis is called Genesis. Now in Hebrew it's not, it's bar sheet in the Hebrew because the first word in Hebrew is bar in the beginning. But the Greek version of the Old Testament called it Genesis even at the time of Jesus. Okay? So in the Hebrew, I mean the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, look at these two passages. Here's Genesis 5.1, Genesis 2.4. Genesis 5.1 says these are the book, if we want to use that word, of genealogy or Genesis. That's the exact same. Okay, look. We can, I got to do this better. Sorry, didn't didn't account for this. Right? Hold on. We got great technology here. Compare. Oh, that'll get you a headache. Compare Biblos, Geneseos in Genesis five one to Matthew one one. Biblos. Geneseos. It's just in Genesis five one. It says, "This is the book of the genealogy of man." Actually, men, mankind. Let's say, this is the book of the genealogy of mankind. In the day that God made Adam. Here we've got this is the book of the genealogy, not of mankind, but of Jesus Christ, who is Hu. The son of David, the son of Abram. So there is a, a real sense in which the emphasis that Matthew wants us to get is this is the beginning. This is the book. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here's your emphasis. So yes, Abraham's the father of Isaac. Yes, Isaac's the father of, the father of, the father of. And they begat, 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 begat. All of these words that I put in red are all, actually these are all the same word, but they're all off of that same root of Genesis. So you've got lots of Genesis's and lots of begattings going on here and lots of genealogies that are taking place. And then you've got this summation toward the end of Matthew. So all of... The generations. And again, that's from the same Greek root. It's actually in this form, Ganea is, is the, the, the form. It's over the A, excuse me, I'm not a good writer. Ganea, Ganea is the form of the, the, the root of the form here. But all of the Ganea from Abraham to David were 14. Ganea, Ganea, Ganea. So now, Picture this in your mind. If you're reading this in the Greek, you don't have the confusion that some of us may have had when we were reading this as high school students in English. Which is, why on earth is anybody wasting our time with this genealogy? Because a point's being made here. The point is, what counts in this genealogy is Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis. And all of these genealogies that have happened before. And I got to tell you, there are lots of things that Jewish people in the time of Jesus cared about. But right up near the very top of that was genealogy. Who they were as a distinct chosen people was extremely important to them. And Matthew is saying... All of the importance in genealogy is drawn from the importance that it's the genealogy of who Jesus Christ is. And it's remarkable if you read this because he says Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and yet he's about to tell us that Jesus doesn't have an earthly father. He's got all of these begats, begats, begats as fathers. And you got a father of Isaac, an earthly father, an earthly father of Jacob, an earthly father. But the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, who is the son of Abraham, is not a genealogy that has an earthly father. You do not get to the end of this story... And have Joseph as the father of Jesus. You get to the end of this story and you have Jacob, the father of Joseph. Who is the husband of Mary. Of whom Jesus was born. Doesn't say begat Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus has a whole bunch of begats. But it doesn't have Jesus begat by any man. So Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham, but not through begatting. All of the begattings from Abraham to David are 14, from David to Babylon 14, deportation to Babylon to Christ 14. Now, look at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. They've tricked us with the translation. Do you know what the word is for birth? It's the exact same as the word for genealogy. It's Genesis. Now, the Genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this whole thing is about the genesis of Jesus Christ. But what you need to understand is, Abraham is an earthly father to this earthly father, 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 who was the husband of Mary that gave birth to Jesus. See, Some people read this and they get confused over a different genealogy in Luke. And they say, no, 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 no. Don't read this like we're trying to establish the exact precise genealogy. I mean, it's not 14 generations precisely from Abraham to David or David to the deportation or the deportation to Christ. He's pulled out 14 generations for us. But this is all part of Matthew making his point. We've got to read it this way and understand it this way. So he wants us to get his point. Read it like a Greek. Don't read it like a 21st century scientist looking to trip the Bible up. All you'll do is trip yourself. So the birth, the the genealogy, the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, this pun continues. The pun is in conceived. The pun is in took place. You can see those in your written lesson if you look at them. I want to shift gears right now and stop the pun. I want to now talk about some emphasis in some additional ways. And so to do that, here's what I've done. I've taken the liberty of retranslating this first section of of the the Matthew 118 and following that I've got on before you I've taken the liberty of retranslating it in a way that shows the emphasis by word order particularly because we read now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way let's read it the way our translators have it and then we're going to reread it where I've tinkered with the word order To show you which words are being emphasized in the Greek. You with me? So here we read it first normally. The genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man. And unwilling to put her to shame. Resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things. Bam! I'm sorry, I couldn't bring myself to leave the behold that was in the original. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, uh, and by the way, the prophet said, Bam! The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Let's, Let's take this apart now and look at it. I happen to have come across some Christmas color ink. I just thought it appropriate to add Christmas color to the nativity story. So here's what I've done. The red are the first words in sentences and phrases and clauses um, so that we've, we've got them properly emphasized. The green is what continued on in that sentence, phrase, clause, whichever it is that I've pulled out. You with me? So with that, if you're listening to this on the radio, on the Terry Lowry show, or wherever you may be listening to it, I will try to Emphasize my voice for red ink. I will make my voice red with emphasis. The Greek begins, Jesus Christ's birth was this way. It doesn't begin. You remember I put this up here. Didn't I have that somewhere? Did I lose that that I had? There's squeaked. Ah, here it is. Um... Oh, no, I didn't put it up there. That was earlier. Let's see. I've got a Greek New Testament. Hold on. So look at verse 18 in the Greek. And some of you are Greek readers. I mean, some of you have taken Greek in here. So I put this up for you especially. Um, Two just is, is the word the for what's about to come. It's the word the in the form. That we need. Day is just one of these uh, Greek particles. It's a connecting word. It just means uh, generally on the other hand. Or but. Or and. Or something like that. So you can disregard those words. Those aren't really the emphasis word. Here's your first word for emphasis. Jesu Christu. Jesus Christ. You win. The OU at the end is just the tag that tells you I'm a genitive. So it's of Jesus Christ. The of Jesus Christ, hey, Genesis, you know that word now, Genesis, don't you? So that is now the birth, whoops, there we go, of Jesus Christ. But you'll see in the Greek, it's actually the Jesus Christ birth was like this. Okay, you with me? So that's what we're doing here. We're looking at this in the Greek word order for emphasis. Jesus Christ's birth was this way. Betrothed was his mother Mary to Joseph. Before coming together, i.e. sexual intimacy. Before coming together, she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband. Now, this is dramatic. I mean, when you get this emphasis, listen to the drama. Jesus Christ's birth was in this way. Betrothed is married to Joseph. Before coming together, she's found with child from the Holy Spirit. That's not a good start to a normal story. And then it gets a little bit more tense with the next word of emphasis. Joseph. Uh Uh-oh. Her husband, righteous being and not wishing to shame her, helps, resolved quietly to divorce her. Now let me pause for a moment and realize that not everyone here is on the same page. Hebrew tradition at the time was... um Before the actual consummated marriage, a daughter was still under the care and responsibility of her father, even in this engaged time period, though she might be with, in a physical, uh, non-sexual sense, her husband or fiancé as they're setting up home, as they're traveling, as they're doing these things, before the actual wedding consummation. And so it's during that time period where there is, is to be no sexual intimacy between the betrothed and the groom. That's what's being described here. So it's before coming together. I mean, we can, we can put this into colloquial English for a moment, if you'll humor me. Jesus Christ's birth was this way, engaged. His mother, Mary, was to Joseph. Before having any sexual relationship, she's found to be with child in the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph. No, Joseph, her fiancé. Righteous. Tzedek, the Hebrew word that would be used there. Someone who cares about right and wrong. Cares about the law, cares about morality. He's that way, but he also doesn't want to shame her. Because the righteous thing to do is to turn her in. So he resolves quietly to divorce her. And that's the the Greek uh, accurately describes the Hebrew process to let her go, is what it means. He resolves quietly to let her go. These things he's pondering when BAM! An angel of the Lord in a dream appeared to him saying, Joseph, son of David. Now, and I love that. He's pondering these things when BAM in a dream. Well now, if he's pondering these things, how's he sleeping? That's just telling you that these are the things that he's trying to figure out what to do. He's probably not sleeping very well. He's got this great agony going on. Do I do the righteous thing and divorce her and publicly proclaim her? As an adulteress? That's the righteous thing to do. But I don't want to shame her. So I think... I think I'm just going to quietly divorce her. And he's tossing and turning. And he's having trouble sleeping. But he goes off to sleep. And bam! An angel of the Lord in a dream appears to him. And says, Joseph, son of David. Emphasis. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because in emphasis. In her is conceived out of the Holy Spirit. And the story continues. So you see the emphasis. All right, I don't have time for the y'all, but I got time for a little verb aspect. So let's look at the verb aspect. I want to take up the verb aspect from where we are in the story. It's the easiest place to do it. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place. The took place there is the state of affairs. All of this... Set up a state of affairs. All of this, when all of this is said and done, this is the aftermath of the hurricane looking at it. All of this set up a state of affairs that fulfilled what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's in the heiress tense. That's just bird's eye. That's, you know, the whole hurricane. The, 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 the whole thing from the satellite. What the Lord had spoken by a prophet was fulfilled. It took place. It left the state of affairs of the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, whoops, which means... God with us. It means moment by moment, God with us. That's going to be a point for home, so I'll get to it in a second. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. That's that moment by moment. That's the man standing on the seawall, watching the hurricane lap in, reporting on it. It means he didn't know her You know, he could have used the heiress. You could just say he just didn't know her and that's it. Start to finish. But he's emphasizing. He didn't know her at any point in time. He didn't know her today. He didn't know her tomorrow. He didn't know her before. They didn't have any type of sexual contact with each other. Period. Until she'd given birth to a son. Do not be deceived. There was none... And he called his name Jesus. Now, it doesn't say he called his name Emmanuel. Scott Callahan's here. Scott is, you know, I've often told y'all, I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I know enough Greek and Hebrew to know I'm not a Greek scholar and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. That's what that first degree does for you. And fun reading, which is what I do. Scott is actually a first-class Hebrew scholar. Has Hebrew... Uh, stand up, Scott. Y'all need to know Scott. Scott and his wife, he's a missionary in the Far East with his family, his wife and their children. They're back visiting our class members, Neil. Yes, thank you for your service for the kingdom. He's first-class Greek scholar. So it's with great joy that I get to say this stuff in his presence. This is like 101. Imanu, L, with us, God. Matthew got the translation right. God with us. And that's what it means in the here and now that Matthew's writing. So he uses that verb tense. But I suspect Matthew's aspect is something more than that. And that's going to be our points for home. Let's go to the... Oh, I have a Greek geek uh, cartoon first. Can we go to the Greek geek? There you go. Hey, geek! You gotta put these on. What did Adam say on the day before Christmas? Mm, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, okay. Um, all right, points for home. <laughs> Sorry. The, <laughs> Becky, help me with that one. <laughs> she actually had a funnier one that I dissed for this one. But, all right. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's your point from home for it. Means God with us. It means it. Yes, in the current moment that Matthew's writing it. In the current moment they're they're reading it. But it still means it today. Not just, don't think of it just in the sense of, oh, translation. Yes, they haven't changed the translation of Emmanuel. No, I'm not talking about translation. Because Matthew doesn't say, and he was named Emmanuel. He says he was named Jesus, Joshua, Yahushua. Because the point of it is, he is Immanuel. He is, right now, moment by moment, God with us. God is with us right now in Jesus Christ. Yes, he was uh, killed. Yes, he was buried. Dead. But he was resurrected and he lives and reigns forever. And he, yes, he ascended to heaven and yes, he will return. But he is still with us right now in the moment, moment by moment. God is with us. Amen, Lord. Number two, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, the genealogy of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And I love this. I love the way that he sets this up. Because this tells me that Jesus Christ is as is the ancient of days. But he's also here right now in every one of us. In each and by every one of us. In each day for every one of us. That genesis of Jesus, that presence of Jesus, is in each of our days. It's the same moment-by-moment idea. And your last one. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary was betrothed. The emphasis there, Jesus Christ's birth in the Greek, I love. Because that is the truth. That is the incarnation of God as man. That is what we celebrate this Christmas season, I pray You have a blessed Christmas. I look forward to seeing you in January. May I proclaim a blessing over you. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to bless my friends, my family, with the joy of recognizing your incarnation, your abiding presence with us each day. Throughout all eternity. May your name properly be proclaimed in our lives. By our lips. By our thoughts. And by our deeds. Amen.